Threes up. Threes in the air for this third and final hour of the morning after on a Thursday right here on SportsGrid. Sirius XM channel 159. It is happy hour on this Thursday. Our third hour is always very happy on the morning after. And I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Coming up later this hour, a preview of the Breeders' Cup in Del Mar tomorrow and Saturday. We will be joined by some of the finest in the industry to give you the early edges that you need to know. And then rounding out this third hour, Mark Zeno from right here on SportsGrid joins to talk a little SEC football, college football playoff rankings, the whole gamut as we get ready for week number 10 in the college football landscape. Week number nine, Thursday night football starts tonight in the NFL. A few props to know as well for that game between the Colts and the Jets. Right now in our West Coast wake up, we focus on two West Coast teams that play their basketball in Los Angeles. The Clippers last night were not in LA. In fact, they were on the road in Minnesota taking on the Minnesota Twins, but the Clippers got the better Twins. Minnesota Timberwolves in the Twin Cities. Caught myself there. You see what I did? Beating the Timberwolves last night in the Twin Cities. The Clippers winning 126 to 115. Here was the play for yesterday. If you remember in our buy, buy, buy segment, we had a theory to test. Early on in the season, there are some pretty strong trends in the association. Entering last night's game, the, the Minnesota Timberwolves have played in six games, and six of them, all six, went to the under. Entering last night's game, the Clippers had only one over before this matchup against the T-Wolves. Well, last night, you can see 126-115 final. It went way over and over under total. That was steamed down throughout the course of your Wednesday afternoon. Earlier in the morning, it was at 217 yesterday. By the time we got the tip, it closed near 212 and a hook. 212. So we went contrary to the market to take it over. It might be a thought you want to use for any of the wagering you might make on the NBA early on. There are some strong trends, but again, the sample size is a little bit small. So last night, the first over of the year for the Minnesota Timberwolves, only the second over of the year for the LA Clippers. Two of the seven games for the LA Clippers now going over, only one of the seven that Minnesota has played hitting the over, and Minnesota still falling under totals by an average margin of 12.4 points per game. Also yesterday, Tom Vecchio FanDuel joined to give you one of his favorite NBA props for the night. That was Paul George going over 43 and a half combined points, rebounds, and assists. Well, PG stat line last night in Minnesota, 32 points, eight rebounds, six assists, going well over that points, rebounds, and assist prop on the FanDuel Sportsbook. So if you watch the morning after on Wednesday, you had a very profitable Clippers and T-Wolves game in Minnesota last night. By the way, for the Clips, their first win on the road this year, but as a road team, they have covered two of the three games away from Staples Center so far this year for the Los Angeles Clippers. Back inside Staples Center tonight, the Lakers getting ready to host the Oklahoma City Thunder. Right now in the FanDuel Sportsbook, the Lakers are laying 12 and a half points at home. The over-under total is 217 and a hook. I just want to make sure those are the updated odds that we have right now. In fact, the Lakers have had the spread work in their favor by a hook. It is now 13 in favor of LA at home tonight. In the total, down by two and a half points early this morning to 215. Always want to give you the updated odds here on the morning after. So these two teams have already met once this year. It was last week 
and it was the only win for the Thunder so far this year. As we welcome in our Sports Grid radio audience here to the third hour of the morning after. It is happy hour on Sports Grid Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and the Mightier 1090 out on the West Coast. I'm your host, Ben Stevens, and this is our West Coast Wake Up, looking at two teams that play their professional basketball in the NBA in Los Angeles. Tonight in LA, in the City of Angels, the Lakers host the Thunder inside Staples Center. Los Angeles laying 13 points, a hefty spread at home, and the over-under total down this morning to 215. As I was mentioning, these two teams have already met once this year. The Thunder and the Lakers in OKC, the only win for the Thunder so far this year, beating the Lakers by a final score of 123 to 115. Oklahoma City, 3-4 and four against the spread so far this year. A dog in every game so far this year, including tonight, where they are getting 13 points on the road. This will be the fifth time the Oklahoma City Thunder have been a double-digit underdog in the early going of this season in the association. Meanwhile, the Lakers have been a favorite in every game except one, a game that LeBron James missed on the road in San Antonio. And the Lakers are tied for the worst Record against the spread in the NBA so far this year. They are just 2-6 and six against the number so far this season. 2-6 and six ATS, the Lakers and the Mavericks. The two worst records against the number in all of the NBA. So the Lakers laying a hefty 13-point spread tonight at home. Something to keep in mind if you want to back the Lakers against the number as the favorite tonight. Just 2-6 and six against the spread. The Lakers, 5-3 and three straight up. 4-2 and two at home, only 2-6 and six ATS. This is their ninth game of the year. It's the seventh game they have played at home. The Lakers have been a benefit of a very strong home schedule to begin, but just 1-5 ATS as a home team so far this year inside Staples Center. LeBron James, by the way, in his last game, in the Lakers' last game against the Houston Rockets, a win the other night by only two points in which they did not cover. LeBron had a pretty strong performance, though. 30 points and 10 assists. For the Kings. So the Lakers and the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. Again, LA laying 13 points at home inside Staples Center. Coming up on the other side of the break, a preview of the Breeders' Cup. We do some horse racing talk here on the morning after. That's next on the grid, Sirius XM Channel 159. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on Sports Grid. On this Thursday, you're listening on Sirius XM Channel 159, watching all across the Sports Grid network. I'm Ben Stevens. And now, very pleased to welcome on Caleb Keller. He is an analyst and reporter for TVG, getting you ready for the Breeders' Cup this weekend in the San Diego area down there at Del Mar. It starts tomorrow. There are 14 races over the course of this weekend. So, Caleb, a lot to get to here. But first and foremost, thank you very much for joining the morning after. Ben, thank you for having me. We wait all year here at TVG for these very special two days of racing. Second time that has been held at Del Mar, and Del Mar essentially is a home hub here for TVG. So we had the breakfast at the Breeders' Cup show, which end today. All kinds of coverage there in the mornings waiting for the preparation for all these horses. So this is a home court game here for TVG. 
Love it. One of the finest events in all of horse racing. 14 races, like you were mentioning, over the course of two days down there at Del Mar. What's the overall environment and atmosphere like for the Breeders' Cup? Well, uh, like most towns that they bring the Breeders' Cup to, there's a lot of flavor outside. They have great restaurants there. Of course, the beach faces the track, the seaside oval, as they call it. And, of course, you know, San Diego this time of year, you're talking like room temperature, uh, low 70s. So a pristine uh, early fall opportunity here in Southern California to have the Breeders' Cup. And Del Mar certainly is a worthy host. So we have 14 races, a lot of opportunities to play some wagers on what is happening at the Breeders' Cup. What should the casual sports better know about where to find the value throughout the weekend at Del Mar? Well, the value, I don't think that you have to overthink it. You know, the fields are so big. A lot of these fields then can get up to 14 horses, which is a total treat for a better. So especially for some of the players that focus more of their bets on sports gaming, and now they're going to maybe come across to horse racing for the weekend. Keep it very simple. You know, the win place, and even the show. If you bet $2 on, let's say, the Buccaneers and you win the Super Bowl bet, you get back technically, what, $3.80. You get your two minus the big. If you pick a horse to show in a field of 14, even close to favorites, you know how many times those horses pay four sixty to show, three eighty, five twenty, horses that make a lot of sense. So even the most basic wager, like a show, could be very profitable. But win place and show, I, you know, as an experienced horse player, I'm gonna swing for, you know, potential life changing score for a pick six like I do every year. But for the betters just coming across, I think keeping it very simple in these huge fields is a good strategy. As a novice sports better in terms of horse racing myself, keeping it simple sounds like a great strategy to me. So 14 races, what are some of the big stellar events we should know about that go on throughout the weekend at Del Mar? Well, on Friday, you're going to see the Breeders' Cup Juvenile. That is a harbinger for what is to come next year for the Kentucky Derby. We got a horse in Jack Christopher who had one of the highest speed figures given to a juvenile in his win last time in the Champagne. You have Corniche for Bob Baffert. Obviously, it's been a, a year that Bob Baffert would likely want to forget. He's still working through a lot of things that have fallen out from the Kentucky Derby, but he is entered in this race. And they're two big strapping horses that are going to see each other eye to eye early. And actually, believe it or not, Ben, there's a horse that hasn't won a race yet named Command Performance, who's been running hard for second. This could be the time that the gray horse Command Performance could pick up his first win in the Breeders' Cup. I really think that he's got a great chance to run down these two huge favorites, and we'll see which one of those horses continues on next year to the Kentucky Derby. When you have so many races over the course of a weekend throughout the Breeders' Cup, what does the handicap look like? What's the preparation like to pick a certain race and to make sure you're getting the best value? Well, I, one of the things I like to do, Ben, leading up is I like to read articles and listen to interviews. At this point, if you're a horse player, you've seen all the races and you can basically memorize them and tell us exactly what happened in every race. And I still definitely want to refresh my mind on the film. But for the most part, I want to find the little nuances from the trainers. You know, the Breakfast at the Breeders' Cup show, I feel like you become a poker player. Obviously, the trainers are going to say great things about their horses, but you kind of can be a little bit more critical and think, all right, when do they really feel like they've got a live shot or when do maybe when are they puffing up the credentials of a horse that maybe they feel could actually be in over their head? So I like to do a lot of reading and listening, kind of analyzing and being a poker player because the connections that are around these horses every morning, they're the ones that truly know if the horse is live or not.
Caleb Keller from TVG joining us here on the morning after previewing the Breeders' Cup this weekend. It starts tomorrow in Del Mar in that San Diego area in Southern California. So, Caleb, we're going through some of these races right now outside of the Breeders' Cup Classic. What is one of the other bigger races you think a good amount of public attention will be paid to this weekend? Well, the race before is the turf, and that brings out the larger, broader audience. That's when the European audience comes together because the Europeans are always really favored to get a win in this race. They are sometimes a class above the Americans. Not to say the Americans can't win in addition of the turf, but the, the larger worldwide audience comes in for the Breeders' Cup turf. And there's a three-year-old filly by the name of Tiona who I, I feel is going to sit a really nice trip in this race. She's breaking from the 12. She's got speed to be close. The two pace setters, I do not see them going the whole way. Acclimates speed horse. So is Tribuven. They're going to make the pace, but I don't see either of them winning. So when that scenario presents itself, whoever can sit third or fourth or close behind them is in the garden spot. And Tiona is the filly on the rise. I feel like she's very live in that turf race that all of Europe, it seems like, tunes in for every year. So the Breeders' Cup Classic is probably the most public of all the events this weekend. The crown jewel of the Breeders' Cup overall down there at Del Mar. A couple of recognizable horses racing in this event that we saw throughout the Triple Crown this past year. Hot Rod Charlie, Essential Quality, Medina Spirit, a bunch of names that we have already come to know. What's the preview like for the Breeders' Cup Classic itself? Well, trainer Brad Cox has got two grays, and they're both going to be very strong. Nick's Go is an older horse that was promising early, but then he really lost his way. He lost 10 races in a row, and there's never been a horse mm. win the Breeders' Cup Classic that had a 10-race losing streak. But he was talented early, then he went awry, then he went to the new barn of Brad Cox. And the thing about him is he's a free runner. He wants to run by himself. And if you allow him to do that, then he can run a hole in the wind and run a big speed figure. If you put pressure on him, though, he has succumbed to pressure twice this year in a pretty glaring fashion where, you know, he did tire late. So he's the gray for Brad Cox. The other gray, I feel like, is going to be the favorite, essential quality. And other than just the Kentucky Derby, he's never lost. And in that Kentucky Derby, yes, he ran fourth, but he only got beat a length. And he had the widest trip that you've seen in the Kentucky Derby in a long time. He gave up so much ground. He probably should have won the race, even though he finished fourth and then third in that race was Hot Rod Charlie, who's been banging heads all year. I know the connections really think that he can race because they willingly sat out the TBG Pacific Classic at Del Mar so they could save up for a big shot in this race. And then all spirit. Medina Spirit won the race. To some degree, that result is still in flux. But Medina Spirit is the horse that if he can run early with Nick's go, we could have a really solid pace and things could really give an opportunity for some closers to get involved late in the race. All right, Caleb, I'm putting you on the spot for our viewers here for the Breeders' Cup Classic this weekend at Del Mar. What is your best bet we need to know for the weekend? You know, my bet, Ben, is going to be across the board is going to be on Art Collector. This is a horse last year that had a lot of talent. This is a horse last year that had form that was very similar to Authentic, who won last year's Breeders' Cup Classic. And I feel that when training changing trainers to Belmont, Art Collector has now become the peak form of himself. I think that he can sit and rate, he can be close, but he doesn't have to have the lead like Nick Sko or maybe Medina Spirit. And I feel like Mike Smith could have one more great ride left in the holster. Keep in mind, Mike Smith has won more Breeders' Cup races than anybody. This horse could pay well if he hits third, right? Second would be even better, and I think he's got a chance for the win, talking about Art Collector.
Art Collector is what I am doing now, Caleb Keller. I am going to place a wager on Art Collector. You have convinced me a wonderful job previewing the Breeders' Cup right here on the morning after. Caleb Keller from TVG, a reporter and analyst who has you covered for the Breeders' Cup all weekend long. Give him a follow on Twitter, at CalebTVG on Twitter for more insight and expertise. Caleb, thank you so much for this Breeders' Cup preview, and thank you for joining the morning after on this Thursday. You got it. Glad to be out with you. Appreciate it. It should be a great weekend in Del Mar. Beautiful weather down there in Southern California, just outside of San Diego. Coming up next here on the morning after, we are going to be joined by Mark Zinno throughout the duration of this third and final happy hour to talk some college football. He goes by the name of the mouth in the South. Some games in the SEC we need to know. Also some SEC teams at the top of the college football playoff rankings. We hear from Mark on the other side of the break. Stay with us here on The Grid. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Right here on the morning after on Sports Grid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, the new home for Sports Grid Radio on Sirius XM, and watching all across the Sports Grid Network, I'm Ben Stevens. For the next couple of segments, we will be joined by Mark Zinno from right here on Sports Grid. You can catch him all over the place, including in game live over the weekends, keeping you up to date on what you need to know in the college football realm. Mark is also known as the mouth in the South, some SEC picks for the Saturday slate of weekend number 10 of college football coming up in just a little bit. But Mark, first, let's begin with the college football playoff rankings. The first iteration of those rankings came out on Tuesday night, and not one, but two SEC teams at the top of the CFP poll to begin. Georgia, of course, should be number one. They are number one. Where I have an issue and what I will ask you now what did you think about Alabama checking in at number two? I think it's right. I mean, they're telling you <sighs> that Alabama is as good as Georgia minus playing them yet. I mean, the loss to Texas A&M shouldn't be something that damages Alabama. I mean, it's, it's a loss on the road against a conference opponent that has been ranked in the top 25 pretty much all season long and was expected to be a team that was in the college football playoff discussion. Now, clearly, again, things changed for AM when they lost Haynes King earlier in the year and they had to go to backup quarterback Zach Calzada. So from that standpoint, you know, some of the shine came off AM a little bit. But still, that's a really quality team with a very good coach. So Alabama also wins with style points. And does that matter? Yes, absolutely it does, mm. because this is a visual medium that we're looking at these games through. And whether you want it to matter or not, how much you beat opponents by counts. Hence what you see from Cincinnati and Wake Forest. I know you'll probably ask me about them in a minute, but still, the committee is telling Cincinnati and Wake Forest, hey, go out and win the rest of your games, but do it in a fashion that leaves no doubt that you belong in this conversation. They're giving them the open. They're leaving the platform there for them to say, look, if you can go out and prove to us that you belong in this conversation, we're willing to put you there. Alabama is still the second best team in the nation by a considerable margin. I don't think the loss to Texas A&M changes any of that. 
I just believe that losses must matter. When you rank Alabama right now, who has a single loss ahead of teams that are unbeaten, also in the top 10, that maybe like Cincinnati, maybe not Michigan State, but like Cincinnati, have a stellar win on their resume as well. Michigan State, a great win. I just think Alabama shouldn't have checked in at number two. I understand the deserving quality of Alabama. Alabama right now is probably the second best team in the country going back and forth with Ohio State for who is a peg behind Georgia at the moment. And I understand Alabama most likely will be in the college football playoff if they eventually beat Georgia in the SEC championship game. And nothing that happens in the first rankings really changed that. Bama has everything out ahead of them. But based on what we have seen this year, these rankings should matter a little bit more, in my opinion. And thus, you give the nod to a team like Cincinnati or like a Michigan State or even like an Oklahoma to move up a little bit as well. But Mark brings up a great point. Don't tell me the committee's not looking at spreads because they are. Oklahoma, four and five against the number, even despite the fact they are a perfect nine and zero, ranked eighth in the country. Cincinnati doesn't cover against Navy and Tulane in back-to-back weeks. They're not even in the top four, checking in at number six. So I do agree with you in essence, Mark, that Alabama certainly has a path and controls their own destiny. I'm just not entirely sure they should have been number two in these initial rankings, but. We compare these rankings right now to the latest college football playoff odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook. In Georgia, the number one team in the country in the CFP poll, the best odds right now to make the CFP minus 2,000, almost a shoo-in to make the college football playoff on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Oklahoma, who actually ranks eighth at the moment, the second best odds at minus 174. Bama and Ohio State tied for the third best odds at minus 164. Then it gets to plus money. Cincinnati plus 180. Oregon, who is number four in the country right now, plus 270. Michigan plus 350. And then a far drop off to the number three team in the land, the Michigan State Spartans at plus 1040. And then Notre Dame at plus 1460. So, Mark, you see those odds. Four teams with a minus money price next to them, and the rest looking to make up ground. What is your initial takeaway from these updated CFP odds after the first CFP poll of the year? Can I run to the sports book right now and put money on Michigan State at the value of over 10 to 1? I mean, look, everybody above them, Ben, has lower odds, but yet a lot of those teams save Cincinnati have one loss. No team with two losses has ever made the college football playoff. So one slight slip-up, whether it's Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, whether it's Alabama against Georgia, all those teams, Oregon loses anywhere along the line in the Pac-12 championship game, or they don't get in. And so from that standpoint, Michigan as the undefeated still theoretically has room for a regular season loss. As long as they win the Mm. Big Ten, they may have a shot to get in the college football playoff, depending on who the loss is to and how they finish out the rest of the year. That seems like way too long odds and incredible value for Michigan State team that continues to surprise people week after week, including going into Michigan and winning a game last week and beating the Wolverines to give them better than 10-1 to odds run to the sports book, put the money on them right now, because I don't know that you're going to get a better opportunity to do it with a team like Michigan State, even though they might not get there. I don't know how you could be 10 to 1 value right now. Plus 1040 for the team that checked in at number three in the initial rankings. I know the initial rankings are not the final rankings, but there is certainly a path 
for the Spartans, but all year, the book has been undervaluing MSU, a team with a team win total entering the year of four and a half, a team that right now is still 10 to one to win the Big Ten Championship, a team that is 80 to one to win the national championship, and a team that is only laying two and a half points this weekend on the road at Purdue. The book has not exactly looked favorably on the number three team in the country, the Michigan State Spartans. Mark, we had a similar conversation last week heading in to the first rankings from the College Football Playoff Selection Committee of where Alabama stands based on the odds on the FanDuel Sportsbook in comparison to Georgia. UGA, minus 2,000, the number one team in the country, the best odds to make the college football playoff. Alabama, still in pretty good minus money category at minus 164. You have mentioned it. No team that has ever lost two games has made it to the college football playoff. That would assume that Bama with one loss right now does not lose again, which would mean a win over Georgia in the SEC championship game. So given where Georgia is right now in these odds, minus money is the odds on favorite to win the college football playoff national championship. Do you still believe that if Alabama is a favorite to make the CFP, they would be favored to win the SEC championship game against Georgia. I believe they would be. I, I Again, it's it's shocking to see or to think that Georgia wouldn't be laying points in this game. I just think that bookmakers know there's way too much of the public that would jump all over Alabama as a dog. I certainly would. It, it's, it's tough for me to sit there and say, Nick Saban versus Kirby Smart, and look at the sample set of games that I've seen over the past couple of seasons ago. Nick Saban doesn't figure out a way to win this thing. And if I'm getting points, I'm certainly going to take them from a better standpoint. What they're telling you about Georgia is that there's nobody left on their schedule that's even going to put them in a scare for a loss prior to the SEC championship game between Missouri, Tennessee, Charleston Southern, and Georgia Tech. There's no reason to believe that anybody would put them in a situation where they're going to lose a game. They'll be a two or three touchdown favorite in all those games going forward. So they're going to enter the SEC championship game undefeated, which makes them a virtual lock for the college football playoff. But again, it's one of those things where if Georgia loses in the SEC championship game to Alabama, they will see them again in the college football playoff, likely in the national championship game to decide who gets crowned a national champion. Now, the second game around, that'll be a different discussion. But in the SEC championship game, it's not going to surprise me to see Bama maybe a one-point favorite, one-and-a-half-point favorite in that spot and, and see if the public backs Georgia in that spot, which I don't think they will. I think they'll still back Alabama. It's so interesting, Mark, to try to correlate these markets that we are seeing right now. You just saw the SEC Conference Championship odds. Georgia is a odds-on favorite right now at minus 200. Alabama plus 160. Again, we're discussing what Alabama needs to do to get to the college football playoff, in which right now they are favored to do so at minus 164 on the FanDuel Sportsbook. Yet they are a plus-money price to win the SEC title. So based on that, You could compare that to a money line for the SEC championship game where Georgia is a minus 200 money line favorite, Alabama at plus 160. I do not think that would be that drastic of a difference for a money line game in the SEC title, but you're trying to compare a Bama team right now that is plus money to win the SEC championship to a Bama team that is minus money to make the college football playoff. When we all think at the moment, Mark, there's only one path for Alabama to get in, and that's by not suffering another loss and knocking off unbeaten Georgia in the SEC championship game. Yeah, and the problem for Alabama is they still have to travel to Auburn for the Iron Bowl, and Auburn is not a slouch. 
Granted, quarterback Bo Nix has been up and down, and he's been up as of late, which should make this matchup he's playing this week very, very interesting. But still, that's not going to be an easy game for Alabama, and they're going to have to fight their way through it. If they had did not have Auburn on their schedule, or even if the game was in Tuscaloosa, I believe you'd start to see shorter odds for Alabama as far as winning the SEC and making the college football playoff just because, again, going through Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa would be a whole different path for them to get to that game. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what Bama does the rest of the way, how that compares to Georgia, if Georgia can be an undefeated national champion and cash a plus 180 ticket on the FanDuel Sportsbook right now. So many options here as we are now in the final month of the regular season in November for college football, where everything, even in the SEC, just means that much more. Mark Zeno is the mouth in the South. His SEC picks for this Saturday slate Coming up next here on the morning after Sirius XM channel 159. We'll be right back after the break. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Welcome back to the morning after on SportsGrid, Sirius XM, Channel 159, and all across the SportsGrid network. I'm your host, Ben Stevens, joined once again for a second segment by Mark Zinno. If you don't know by now, Mark Zinno from here on SportsGrid also goes by another name. He is the mouth in the South, here to give you the picks for the SEC Saturday slate. It's the mouth in the South's SEC picks. We all know I'm a Big Ten guy, but still, every time I see that beautiful animation, I get fired up for the Southeastern Conference on a Saturday in the fall. Now in the month of November, Mark, in the final month of the regular season. The number one team in the country, unanimously so, top the CFP poll, the Georgia Bulldogs. Who does Georgia have this weekend? 0-8 against the spread, Missouri. The only team in the country who is winless against the number so far this year. So, Georgia, a 39.5 point favorite, the over-under total 59.5. Mark, I have fun with these graphics when we are constructing them here, a part of our TMA team and our graphics producer, Jesse Metzger. And as you can see in the top left there, it says NSFW, not safe for work, because that's what I believe Georgia will do to Missouri this weekend. What are you thinking of this game between the Tigers and the Dogs? Yeah, if I had $100,000 to lay on the money line for Georgia, why not, right? I mean, uh, that is a fantastic (laughs) line that I was looking at there. But here's the situation that you see with Georgia in this game. You have a short distance between the line and the total. It's just 20 points. And although that makes it a really tight window for the under to come in because it's hard for Georgia to cover and this under to still happen, essentially what you're asking is Georgia to limit Missouri to under 10 points in this game. And believe it or not, Ben, I think they can do it. 
this is a spot where Georgia, uh, their defense will show out. And even though this is a defense now that's giving up 30 points in the last three games compared to just 16 points over their first five, this is still a defense right now that can take a Missouri offense that's pretty good with quarterback Connor Basilek and has a decent running game that they can choke them out. I would look in this spot for Georgia to come out, get a lead early, force Missouri to throw, create some turnovers, and then be able to run away with this thing. I like the under 59 and a half here because Georgia's defense will limit Missouri and what they're able to do. And I think you go back to a similar game script of what they did against Vanderbilt earlier in the year when they won 62 to nothing. Now, I don't think Georgia will put up that many points this year, but in order for the over to come in, you're asking Missouri to be able to get into the high teens after what Georgia has done the last couple of weeks, scoring in the mid-30s, and I just don't see it happening with this total pushing 60. This is the largest total that Georgia has seen all year long, and so from that number, that's what I'm taking the under, Ben. Yeah, when you look at these numbers right now, both the spread and the game total overall, you can do a quick math lesson to estimate the team totals for both. UGA is probably going to be 48.5 for an over-under for their team total. Missouri, probably somewhere in that ballpark of 10. We all know one of my favorite trends this year has been Georgia opponents team total unders. They have hit pretty much every week except the Kentucky backdoor cover a couple of weekends ago in Athens, Georgia. Even against Florida last week when it was 17 and a half, it was an easy under for the Gators. Will Missouri score less than 10 points? That's pretty much what you're banking on here if you want a team total under on Mizzou and a game total under overall so mark i appreciate the thought process there would you look at a georgia team total over knowing the dogs could be at 48 and a half or is that still a little bit too hefty i honestly think it's too hefty i mean georgia in the last four weeks has an eclipse 37 they scored 37 34 30 and 34 so their offense has sort of slowed a little bit comparatively to what we've seen earlier in the season but if you get a Georgia team total under 40 it might be worth a play depending on what the juice looks like just because again Missouri is going to give this offense this Georgia offense plenty of opportunities to score and they'll take advantage of them whether it's Stetson Bennett or JT Daniels at quarterback for the Bulldogs this is a spot where Georgia can probably get to 40 but not much more which gives me pause to laying 38 or 39 and a half points whatever the total the line is that you get it at as far as covering that spread so look for the Georgia team total if it's under 40 points I think it's worth a play I mean goodness look at that spread again 39 and a half for the number one team in the country Georgia six and two against the number Missouri the only winless team in college football that is not have a single win against the spread this year a single cover ATS nothing for Mizzou so far this year so a game that should be a lot more competitive at least based on the line right now is a great game in the SEC West Auburn on the road visiting College Station in Texas A&M the Aggies right now laying four and a half at home the over under total only 49 and a half this is a great matchup Auburn ranked 13th in the country in the first CFP poll Texas A&M 14th in the first CFP rankings how do you break down this matchup Mark 
a matchup of quarterback rejuvenation here in the SEC West. Zach Calzada of Texas A&M and Bo Nix of Auburn sort of reinvented themselves throughout the season or midway through the season, I should say. For quarterback uh, Zach Calzada of A&M, they're averaging over 40 points a game over their last three games offensively. For Auburn, Bo Nix and the Tigers are averaging over 35 points a game over their last two. And so for a total that looks at 50, this to me is almost a contrarian play on the over here. Both these defenses give up less than 20 points per game. And I know a lot of people think this will be a defensive struggle, but I could see both of these teams coming out putting on an offensive show because these offenses have played so well over the last couple of weeks, and that trend will continue. I'll take the contrarian over here, given that I'm getting a much lower number than what these offenses are usually used to. A&M is the third best scoring defense in the country. Bo Nix has been playing a lot better at the quarterback position the last couple of weeks, but there is still a harboring of Bo Nix on the road. Well, Auburn this year, away from Jordan Hare, 2-1. and one against the spread an sec game at least featuring one sec school that i'm very excited for this saturday ole miss hosting liberty in what could be a matchup of the top two quarterbacks selected in this upcoming 2022 nfl draft for the running rebs it's matt corral who is tied for the third shortest odds on the heisman trophy board on FanDuel right now at plus 600 going up against the potentially number one overall pick of liberty their quarterback, Malik Willis. Right now on the FanDuel Sportsbook, the Rebs laying eight and a half at home in Oxford. The over-under total, 66 and a half. So, Mark, a great quarterback battle in this game between Liberty and Ole Miss. How are you approaching this from a side and total perspective? Yeah, the inaugural Who Freeze Bowl. Like, who's signing up for this? Sign me up. <laughs> the last two weeks, I've actually gone contrarian myself on Ole Miss, as I told you about Ole Miss overs all year long. Played the unders for Ole Miss the last two weeks, Hit them both. However, that number has come down. That's 66 and a half, a depressed total. And I'm going to play the over here. Ole Miss averages nearly 50 points a game at home, converts to just averaging around 25 at, on the road. And so from that standpoint, they're in the comfort of their own stadium. They're three and one to the over at home this year. And this is a Liberty team that will push the pace offensively for this game. I do believe that Liberty can stay close, but I also feel like, with Liberty, the only way they can get within that nine and a half point spread is to keep this game under. Both totals at home this year for Old Miss that were under 70, the over came in. That trend will continue this week. I take the over in this game at a depressed total of 66 and a half. Where I'm looking at this game, and I hope FanDuel that has done a great job in the last couple of weeks expanding their player props for big games in college football, they give us a Malik Willis rushing yards prop because I will take the over. He has run for 684 yards this year, the most of any quarterback at the Division I FBS level so far throughout college football, and Ole Miss ranks near the bottom of college football in terms of rushing defense, allowing 194.6 rushing yards per game so if they give us player props for a great quarterback matchup i will certainly take the player prop rushing yards over for malik willis a couple of other games to get to here mark in the sec on saturday and what we hoped would be a great game in the first weekend of november entering the year probably not going to be all that star-studded alabama laying 28 and a half against LSU this weekend. Mark, do you believe that Alabama can cover this number or are we looking in a different category for the Tide and the Tigers? 
I see Alabama covering, but it's not where I would put my money. Uh, too much variance from that standpoint because you're not 100% sure what you're going to get with LSU. They played a great game against Florida a couple of weeks ago, but then really laid an egg against Ole Miss, and their offense looked inept. And from the standpoint of LSU offensively, look, they tried to run the ball and couldn't. And so Ed Orgeron may be forced to let quarterback Max Johnson have to throw the ball all over the place, especially since Alabama has the second-best run defense in the SEC. Alabama's actually given up 25 points per game in SEC play this year, which lets me believe that LSU can score in this game, but Alabama's also turned it up offensively after losing to Texas A&M and has scored 50 in each of the last two weeks. So from that standpoint, this is a play where Alabama will push into the high 40s, if not the low 50s. If LSU gets to 20, and I think they can, I'm almost positive they can, then this game should go over that total of 66. So I'm playing the over in Alabama and LSU. I like that, especially because the tide now, the spread has worked in their favor by a point from where I saw it earlier this week. 28.5 to 29.5. Nearly a 30-point spread for a game we thought was going to be good, and we all had circled for this first Saturday in November entering the season. Another matchup in the SEC East, as you saw your card there for this Saturday. The final game you are giving us a play for. The Gators, after the big loss in the cocktail party this past weekend against Georgia, Still an 18, 18 and a half point favorite even now on the road against South Carolina in the Gamecocks this weekend. Do you have enough confidence in UF and Dan Mullen to back the Gators against the number this weekend? Well, the confidence in both those guys should be waning for everybody. This is more about my confidence in South Carolina just stinking, period. Uh, a team that just does not have the chops defensively to keep up with a Florida offense that still can score. And from, I mean, South Carolina's one and nine in their last 10 against the spread on the road. They're just not a, a team that, you know, inspires a lot of confidence. Uh, and even though they're home this week, Florida is a team that needs to regroup quickly and get back to where they are to have any sense of respectability in a season that looks lost despite the fact that they're having quarterback issues. South Carolina won't be able to hang in this game long enough. I'm under three touchdowns, and I'll lay it with Florida. Mark, what do you make of Dan Mullen's comments earlier this week that we will talk recruiting when the season is over? I thought college football, we always had to be recruiting out there. Yeah, uh, probably not the best thing to do after another disappointing loss uh, and you don't have a, a solid future at quarterback or any real playmakers after they all vacated for the NFL. That's a weird thing for a head coach to say because you look conversely at guys like Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, they never are shy about the fact that they're always recruiting. Every opportunity is a recruiting opportunity. And so uh, Dan Mullen, who is a good schemer and I think a fantastic play caller might not be the best recruiter uh, as he's telling the world that, you know, it's not recruiting season. Well, if you're not winning, you're not being able to recruit either. So you got to do one or two. Uh, it's best if you can do both. But right now he's doing neither. It would seem like a good idea to talk recruiting and try to pitch the future for Florida after what has yeah. been a very disappointing year for the Gators on the field. Might be getting a little hot down there in Gainesville for old Dan Mullen. Mark Zinno from right here on SportsGrid. Catch him over the course of the weekend on In-Game Live, the man we call the mouth in the south, giving you the SEC picks for this upcoming Saturday, the first of which in November. Mark, as always, thank you very much for your time. Best to you, man. Thanks. We will talk with Mark Zinno again here very soon. But coming up next on the grid on the morning after our bye-bye-bye best bets for Thursday night football in the NFL. That's next. Stay with us on the grid. 
SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. Our last little bit together on the morning after, at least until tomorrow, here on a Thursday on SportsGrid. Sirius XM, Channel 159, the new home for SportsGrid Radio on Sirius XM and all across the SportsGrid network. I'm your host, Ben Stevens. Before we say goodbye on this Thursday, looking ahead to Thursday night football, before we say farewell, it is our best bets for Thursday night between the Colts and the Jets. It's bye-bye-bye. And I truly mean buy, buy, buy three times. I love the board tonight for the Jets and the Colts on Thursday night in Indianapolis. The Colts laying 10 and a half points at home. Don't worry about the spread. The over under total 45 and a half, six straight unders on Thursday night football. You could easily tempt me in going under that game total of 45 and a half. How about another prop for you? Our second buy, Jonathan Taylor, over 102 and a half receiving and rushing yards tonight. He is averaging 114 combined this year. He has gone over this number of 102 and a hook in six of the eight games for the Colts and in five straight. Tom Vecchio from FanDuel gave you the early edge in that market yesterday. But my full buy, 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 the third buy for Thursday night football Michael Pittman going over his five and a half total receptions prop with plus money to said over Michael Pittman Jr. last week was targeted 15 times he had 10 receptions and in the Colts loss to the Tennessee Titans he has 65 targets so far this year the leading targeted receiver on the Colts by 22 targets for Carson Wentz he has gone over this number of five and a half in five of the eight games for Indianapolis this year, a four-week span from weeks three through six. He goes over this number constantly, and it's plus money. Michael Pittman, over five-and-a-half total receptions tonight for Thursday night football between the Colts and the Jets. A board, a prop board I absolutely love. We are done on this Thursday, but the morning after rolls on tomorrow on a Friday. Each and every weekday, 9 a.m. Eastern, right here on The Grid. I'm Ben Stevens. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow. Are you one of us? We've just got one question. Do you like me? We-